Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts, Jordana Osband, here with my friend in Chavruta, Ann Gordon. Today, we will be discussing Brachot Daf Lamed Hay 35. Uh, this is an exciting turning point in Talking Talmud. Uh, we've been spending the first part of our study of Brachot really immersed in a discussion around Kriyat Shema and Tefillah. And this parak really switches gears, and we're going to be speaking about Brachot. Uh, all different types of blessings that we make and how they came about. So I know, Anne, you're going to start at the actual top of this page to start our discussion today. That's right. So we have this, you know, cluster in a positive way. The top of the page is the beginning of the page, and it's the opening Mishnah of a new parak. It doesn't always work that way, but here it's very smooth and very lovely. How do you make a blessing on your fruits? We'll understand this question in the answer. If your fruit that you have before you is the fruit of the tree, the bracha is Baracha Tashamokin Bachalam, Bore Priya Aits. Chutzmanayayinch Alayayin Omer, Bore Priya Gafen. Unless you're talking about wine, because the wine has its own bracha of Bore Priya Gafen, the fruit of the vine. And it's excluded from, or it's unnecessary to put it with Bore Priya Aits. If the fruit is grown from the ground, in our common parlance, we might call that vegetables. You say from the fruit of the ground. Except for bread. Because on bread, which technically the wheat does grow from the ground, we have a special bracha, which is to bless on the who brings, God who brings forth bread from the earth. This is the actual vegetables. You also say as you would for fruit of the ground. That you the the blessing according to Rabbi Huda is the creator of different kinds of grasses or herbs, which is already an interesting formulation which we don't use at least not to my knowledge. Um, if you wanted to sit and eat a pack of herbs, you would say I think you would say Bore Priyadama. We we don't use his formulation. Okay, so first of all, what we have here is the blessings that surround all kinds of um, produce brachot, right? Meaning there's also shahakol bracha. There are other brachot that we say, but these are the the essential brachot that are going to be relevant for all kinds of anything that comes from the natural world, pretty much, or from the growing natural world. And the idea here is, and it's an idea that's put forth in the Rambam, his introduction to the Mishnah on Masachat Brachot, right? The idea that you cannot come forward to eat anything without first stopping and saying thank you to God for enabling you to be able to eat it. So we have a functional role of each blessing. But this Mishnah isn't talking about that philosophical point. It's talking about, technically speaking, what do you do? What are you supposed to do when you come to make blessings on your payrot? When you have produce in front of you, what do you say? Uh, what this what this Mishnah does not talk about yet, but we will get there eventually, is the order of the brachot. Right, that there's going to be a distinction in what 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 we bless when, um, based on what we have in front of us. You know, when you have a fruit salad, you know, can you? How do you have to do? How do you go about that? Tano Rabbanan asur lo ladam min haolam hazeb lo bracha. And here we get the philosophical point. Right, which I was saying, it precedes, it's fundamentally part of what blessing you're going to make over what. It's the idea that it is prohibited for a person to benefit from this world without making brachot over the things that they're getting benefit from. 
we should say, we should note that this whole category of blessings over food, and it also extends to things that we might make a blessing on the scent of something, is they're called birkatan hanin, the beneficial, um, the things that we're, that we're getting benefit from, that's what we bring brachot on, as compared to blessings of praise or thanksgiving to God, this is where we, human beings, get benefit. And anybody who does get benefit from this world without making a bracha, ma'al, mi'ila, is somebody who desecrates something that has been dedicated to the Beit HaMikdash or to God and is using it now for a profane or mundane purpose. And that um, desecration, right? When I say desecration, when you take something that is supposed to be sanctified and you use it for something that is ordinary, mundane, regular, then you are fundamentally desecrating because you're removing it from its level of holiness. So if you use regular stuff, the same way you might everybody use regular stuff, but you've done so without making that bracha that gives it that extra sanctity, when you don't recognize that extra sanctity with the by, by virtue of the bracha, then the Gemara here says, ma'a then you have desecrated what you have before you. My takante. My um, what do you? What's your solution then? Right? Like when when you've desecrated something, how are you supposed to fix it? The Gemara says, "Yelech etel chacham." Go to a wise man. Go to one of the chachamim. Go to a sage. Yelech etel chacham. My avilage. You're gonna go to a sage. What is he gonna do for you? Right? You've just done meila. You've just desecrated this. Item by your lack of bracha, what what could he possibly help you with? Ha'avile sura, you know, how can he help you after you've already done avile sura after you've done the prohibition? Ella amarava yelech etel chacham meikara. No, Rava says no. Go to him beforehand. Go to begin with. Go to the sage. Vilamdeinu brachot He's going to teach you the brachot, so then you know what to say, and then you'll never be in a situation of me'ila to begin with. Isn't that nice? And there's something very, um, I don't know, very friendly about this, the idea that as long as you're educated and you're going to know to make your brachot, then you're not going to fall into this problem of desecration of that which otherwise should be sanctified. Um, I think that's it. The Gemara does go on here. Amar Yehud Amar Shmuel Kol Hanehanem Min Haolam Hazeh Below Bracha Ki Ilu Nehanem Shamayim. It's a different way of looking at, again, getting benefit without having properly made your blessings. Um, you know, it's a it's a theme that's very important in our recognition of how we human beings, you know, straddle between the world of, let's say, the world of the animal, the world of the physical, and the world of the holy and exalted. And one way we do that is that when we come to the physical item, like eating fruit, and we elevate it by making a bracha, and what happens when we don't? So there's great concern here, and and that makes sense to me. So I, I this last piece of the Gemara about you know sort of needing to learn brachot, and I think there's some implication there that it's actually from like an early age, um, that if you sort of don't go into the world knowing how to bless it and recognizing what Hashem gives us in this world, um, then you will end up being a person who sort of takes what you shouldn't be taking without its proper acknowledgement. Um, nice. And I guess this might be, you know, why we do emphasize teaching our children at such a young age. Uh, brachot is like one of the basics, right? You know, even before many of our children can sit through uh, davening or do a lot of other things, we always try to encourage our children, 
you know, to make brachot. I currently have a four-year-old who whenever I try to make a bracha with her over food, she says, that's just what we say in school, not at home. So I I seem to have failed at that. But I I think it's showing us that recognizing appreciation and, you know, being a person who knows when to bless God and that everything comes from God is a fundamental. And if you're not trained in that early, um, well, I'll say it in a positive way. Being trained and understanding that early from our mentors and our leaders will really shape us to be a more appreciative person. Um, I want to talk about something else that's sort of on the end of the daft, uh, which also gets into sort of a philosophical question of how should we be spending our time in this world? And it reminded me a little bit of the discussion we had a couple of Daphne Mavo about the Hasidim who would spend hours, uh, you know, either preparing themselves in tefillah, then immersed in tefillah, and then sort of coming down from the high of tefillah. And that discussion with Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi, and where the Gemara says, you know, because the Gemara basically asks, like, how could they possibly, you know, daven for nine hours a day, right? If there's three tefillah a day and you needed three hours, an hour of preparation, davening, and an hour afterwards. So when did people do work? And the Gemara sort of answered, well, if you're a chassid and you do this, it sort of, it will work out for you. So the Gemara here shares something. Um, it's not similar, but it's sort of a, 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 a different type of discussion around these types of issues. Tanu Ravanan, Vasata Deganecha. So the, they're going to quote here a discussion around a pasuk uh, that comes from uh, Devarim, uh, Paragut Aleph, Pasuk Yedalad, right? Vasata Deganecha, which says, you will gather uh, your grain. Matamud Lamar. So the question is, uh, how could the Torah say this? Um, and the continuation of that puzzle is, So it quotes a pasuk in Sefer Yoshua, Yoshua Aleph Pasuk Chet, and it's saying, how could one go out and basically, so the question is the following. The pasuk in Devarim says, you should go out and gather your grain. But yet the pasuk in Yoshua is basically saying, the Torah shouldn't depart from your lips and you should be vigatable, you should contemplate it or be immersed in it day and night. So you can only have grain to gather or to harvest if you were busy planting, which means what were you not busy doing? You were not busy learning Torah. So that, that's basically the question. So it's basically saying, and it, it's kind of an interesting thing the Gemara is doing here also, I think, because it shows you sort of how it interplays different who came from Tanakh. It's taking a pasuk from Nevi'im, right, from Yoshua, and it's using that to challenge something that's in Devarim. So I thought that also was, like, from a methodological point of view, interesting. So the Gemara goes on to say, So the Gemara says, I might have thought that these things are to be understood as they're written, meaning literally, as the pasuk in Yehoshua says, someone should actually spend day and night only learning Torah. Therefore, the Pasuk tells us in, in, in Devarim, Vasapta Deganecha, right, you should gather your, your grain, assuming that that's actually the way of the world, right? Meaning you should set aside not only for Torah, but someone also has to set aside time also for work. And this is Divrei Rav Yishmael. This is the understanding of Rav Yishmael. So, and remember, Rav Yishmael is one of the, we'll talk about him in another time more in depth, but he and Rabbi Akiva were very particular about how you could actually interpret different sukim. 
But his understanding this Pasukim Devarim is to say, no, the world works a certain way. Somebody has to go out to work. You make time for work. You make time for Torah. Now we're going to have a different opinion. Rabbi Shimon ben Yochai Omer. So Rabbi Shimon ben Yochai says the following. Okay, so it says, is it possible that a person can plow in plowing season, sow in sowing season, harvest in harvest season, and thresh in threshing season, and winnow in the windy, in the windy uh, season? Okay, uh, and then it asks the question, Torah Mati what will happen to that person? What will become of Torah? I love how Rabbi Shon Ben Yochai formulates this. It shows you how much work. It's not just how does a person work. He goes through all the activities around agriculture to show you how much time it actually takes up to do. And then he's basically asking the question, if you're busy with all of that work, where is there possibly room for Torah? So he answers that the time when B'nai Israel do the will of Hashem, their work will be done by others. Shenemar. Right, so he quotes to prove this a pasuk in Yeshayahu, Perach Samach Aleph, Pasuk He, right, 61, verse 5, that says, Strangers will stand and will feed your flocks. And in the time where B'nai Israel, where the Jews do not do the will of Hashem, then their work will have to be done by themselves. You will gather your grain. So he looks at this pasuk totally differently, that it's actually a negative. That if it comes to a point in time where we actually have to gather our own grain, right? That's not actually the way of the world. It means that we were not actually listening to Hashem. And part of that punishment is, is that we don't have others to do the work. We have to do the works ourselves. And not only that, below od nasit al yadan and not only will that happen, but we will end up having to do the work of others. And he quotes another Pasuk in Devarim, Perk Chavchet, Pasuk Memchet, right, 28, verse uh, 48, that says you will serve your enemy. Very, so first thing I want to point out is it's just interesting to see two Tanayim have a completely different way of Pasuk, right? Vasata Deganecha that according to Rav Yishmael, this is just descriptive. It's just the way of the world. Of course you have to work. Every person has to find their balance between working and their balance between learning Torah. And then you have uh, Rav Yishmael ben Yochai, who says, no, this pasuk is actually a negative. If it comes to the point where you actually have to gather your own grain, where you actually have to do agricultural work, it means it must be that you are not actually listening to Hashem and you were not given the opportunity to spend more time studying Torah because you actually had to do your own work. The end to this, though, is amazing. So that's a machlokas between two Tanayim. Now, Abai, who's an Amora, comes and says the following. Amar Abai, Herbe Asu Kerebi Yishmael, the Alta Biyadan. Kerebi Shimon Ben Yochai, the Lo Alta Biyadan. So Abai says, many people did like Rabbi Yishmael, and they were, they were successful. It worked. They were able to do the agriculture. They were able to work. And they were also able to study Torah. And those who did like Rabbi Shimon ben Yochai, they were not successful. And many Mepharshim explained that it means they actually had to abandon all of their Torah study. So it's the Machlochet itself is very interesting, right? What's more important, you know? And do we follow like Rabbi Yishmael where we say, you know, it's the balance. And of course, somebody's going to have to work. Do we go by Rabbi Shimon ben, uh, ben Yochai who says no? 
Torah is what's most important. Work is something that's really secondary. And then we had this observation by Abaye who basically says, no, really the way, it's not like a sock, but he's making an observation of how the world works, that those who followed Rabbi Yishmael, they actually had more success in maintaining Torah and being able to learn Torah, those people who were able to balance it, than those who actually followed Rabbi Shimon ben Yochai. So I just thought this was a really interesting um, uh, piece about sort of just an observation that the Tanaim and Amorayim, they, you know, struggle with many of the same things that we do. How do we find a balance? And you know, bringing it back to sort of what we're trying to accomplish with Dafyomi, I think that's part of what Dafyomi is. It's really setting a sign aside, excuse me, a designated period of time every day when we're busy with work and other commitments to say, this is the time that I have to learn. It's really being what we call Kobea eating, right? To establish a set of time, not that all your time has to be immersed in Torah. And at least for me personally, and I know we've heard from some of our fellow co-learners that, um, I've noticed a difference in my day since I've started doing this, that the whole framing of my day is different since I've been committed to the DAF. I don't think it has to be DAF Yomi. I think you could learn anything in a very committed way. Um, but um, I, I just love this observation of Rabbi Yishmael and that Abayi's experiences where Rabbi Yishmael says seems to be more true. I think also, I mean, it's always nice to hear the... Tanaim and Amarayim coming down, you know, conclusively on a position that I myself also prefer, right? Meaning I, I like the voice of moderation. I like the balance, the, at least the striving for balance. I'm not saying that everything is always successful in terms of balance, but Rabbi Shemba Yochai takes an extreme position. He lived an extreme life. We've talked about how we're going to talk about that more later in Masachat Shabbat. And, and I'm not saying it didn't work for him. I think there are people for whom that kind of extreme life where you you know where you go to the nth degree including in Torah it doesn't work for for everybody it doesn't work to make a policy like that I'm not saying it doesn't work for individuals but if we're going to make policy I like to hear that Chazal you know agree with me by which I mean I agree with them you know I think that's true and I think it's significant as we've been saying all along that that sort of extreme position is one of Ravishim and uh, Ben Yochai because he definitely is a more extreme personality. And when we get to that story about him hiding in the cave and what happened, we'll see some of that. Um, and it makes sense. That's who he was as a person and how he experienced the world. And I think he was probably able to do that, right? We said that when he hid in the cave, right, he learned Torah for 12 years straight. Um, I guess I'm getting ahead of myself, even though I said we'll get to it, you know, when we get to Masachat Chavez. And then even when he walks out of the cave, he almost couldn't handle being in the world and had to go back into the cave uh, because his Torah study was so intense. So for most people, I think the balance is actually what's, what, what works. And that's what Abaye is making an observation on. And, but he, Rav Shembar Yochai has taken it, again, we'll talk about this there, but he's taking it to a position that is not sustainable for as a policy for the people, right? That's the point here of Abaye, I think, that to say that he, he wants it to be programmatic and it, do, it goes too far. It doesn't work. So, uh, you know, how you achieve balance is difficult. Needing to achieve balance seems to be fundamental. Agree. A, a, a real question that I think many of us struggle with all the time. Well, that is our job for the day. Until tomorrow's job, thanks for learning with us. You can find us on all podcasts. 
Uh, and if you want to have a deeper reading or a more complete reading of the full DAP, uh, we suggest that you uh, follow along with Michelle Cohn-Farber on her website, which Hadron, which is now hosting us as well. And we thank her for that. And we uh, can't wait to learn with you tomorrow.